0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I truly appreciate you guys connecting every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you've been enjoying this podcast, which I hope you have, (laughs) would you take the time to give us a five-star rating and leave us a positive written review? I value your feedback and it blesses my soul. Today, we continue with part three of the self-worth series called The Boy That Saw a Dead Dog in the Mirror. I hope you were able to go back into the show notes, part one and part two, and look at the questions that I propose. Use them as a tool for self-evaluation or self-reflection. That is what will help you grow. Remember that we talked about the importance of self-awareness. Self-awareness is key for making a change, for shifting, for pivoting, for a true transformation in your life. You have to know where you stand. You have to know your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. Otherwise, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know, then you will never grow. I mentioned last time that there are three basic elements that are required in order for you to go from point A to point B. I talked about the mindset of intentionality. Intentionality means that you're able to envision yourself at that point B. Let me give you an example. For instance, let's use baseball as a metaphor. A baseball player that manages to make it to first base will never make it to second base unless first base is point A, second base is point B. He will never make it to point B unless he's able to intentionally envision himself there. If he's already thought that he's not going to make it, if he's already mumbled, I'm not, never going to make it to second base. This is too hard. Well, then he has elevated the probability of him not succeeding. So step number one for you to get from point A to point B is being able to intentionally envision yourself there. So intentionality is that first key step. Uh, Number two, I mentioned to you last time also that number two is discipline. So I can envision myself at point B intentionally, but now I need to actually position myself and create a plan. I have to have the discipline, create a plan. So as a baseball player, I'm waiting for the batter to hit the ball. And as soon as I hear the strike of the ball against the bat, then I will run. That's the discipline. And step number three is consistency. I have to consistently, as a baseball player, consistently put one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, until I make it to second base. The three steps, intentionality, discipline, and consistency. Now, let me tell you this. After listening to a podcast or going to a conference and listening to a Uh, a motivational keynote speaker or watching a motivational video, uh, we get pumped up and excited. Our biology is activated and it's almost like we have this this newborn inner strength, it's almost like those of you who are back, who grew up back in the 70s and the 80s as I did, you probably remember Rocky One, you know, and going to the movies for the first time and the big buzz about the Italian stallion, Rocky Balboa. And if you uh, remember that time and you went over, if you're, if you're in your 40s, late 40s, early 50s, well, you probably remember. And watching this movie and leaving the place, wanting to, wanting to put on a, a pair of gloves and get before a punching bag and start, start training, you know, and running upstairs and, and, and push-ups and all these things because you were excited and pumped up, all jacked up, as we would say. <laughs> but you know what? The same thing happens when we go to a motivational conference or when we listen to a podcast that excites us, that gives us tools and, and know-how you know, and how to break free from paradigms and, 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 and shift and pivot and all these great things. But let me tell you something. If you don't do anything with what you have learned through these podcasts or at a conference or watching a video If you don't do anything with the material that is provided for you, the material that is supposed to or or the content that is there to equip you, to empower you, if you don't do anything with it, it'll fizzle out. That excitement that you feel, that, that inner buzz that you feel, that extra strength that you have, it'll fizzle out in no more than 72 hours. 72 hours and it's all gone. However, if you do something with it, if you take you know, the keynotes, if you take the, uh, the uh, steps one, two, and three, or, or the, you know, the, the, the five steps to this or that. And if you implement those with intentionality, with discipline and consistency, believe me, you will see change. You will see change. It's the same concept behind the New Year's resolution. I mean, come on, let's be honest and serious. How many people, How many people actually achieve whatever they set forth at the beginning of the year? The percentage is very low. And let me tell you, Every time I'm in a conference at the beginning of the year and I ask everyone, how many of you have set New Year's resolutions? You know, I would say that in a crowd of 100, at least 70 will raise their hand and they'll say, yeah, I, I set forth you know some, some resolutions for the new year. And then the next question that I ask them is, okay, how many of you with your hands up would say that you have written those goals down or those resolutions down on a piece of paper? And out of the 70, I would say that the end, at the end, we would only have about 25 or 30 hands up saying, yes, I actually took the time to write them down. Well, out of those 30, out of the crowd of 100, out of those 30, only about half of them will actually see their goals come to fruition, their resolutions come to fruition. So you have to be extremely intentional. You have to Write things down. You have to exercise the things that have been given to you. you. It's not just pie in the sky. You know, you can't just rehearse some 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 affirmation. You know, and and think that things are going to happen. You rehearse the the affirmation, but then you do something with it. In other words, I've always said this. I say affirmation or declaration without action is the beginning of insanity. You can say, you know, I mentioned one of the verses that uh, I've rehearsed in my mind when I run marathons is, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." Well, I can rehearse that. I can rehearse that a thousand times a day. And I can can believe it in my mind and in my heart as I rehearse it. But if I don't get off of my rear end and work out, either get on a treadmill, put my shoes on and go run out in the street, time myself, watch my pace, watch my nutrition, everything, watch my speed, my stride. If I don't do that, nothing, listen to me, nothing is going to change in my life absolutely nothing. Affirmations and declarations without action is just the beginning of insanity. There's another verse that I love that's in the Bible that I uh, use as an example when I speak at um, Christian conferences. There's there's one that says, uh, and my God shall supply for all of my needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. And a lot of people who are without a job, unemployed, they will quote this over and over and over again as they sit on their couches eating Doritos and watching Netflix. And they just say, well, you know, the Lord shall supply for all my needs according to his glories and riches in Christ Jesus. And my my, my next question to them is, have you not read that there is another scripture that says, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> if you don't work, you don't eat. You've got to get off your rear end and do something about it. You just can't declare and affirm every day. You've got to do something with it. Well, The reason I share this with you today is because whatever you're learning through this podcast, whatever steps you're learning, whatever tools I'm uh, sharing with you, make sure that you take them and you do something with them. Because if you don't, guess what? Nothing. Nothing will ever change. Last week, we talked about the little boy who saw a dead dog in the mirror, and that little boy is Mephibosheth. He's found in the Old Testament. Several of you sent me messages saying, "Hey, I'd read the Bible before, and never come across Mephibosheth, and now that you have mentioned him, I've become interested in his life, and I've started reading and uh, about him, and it's quite interesting." This little boy's life is a clear example of what happens when we are exposed to certain, uh, to a certain environment. Now, keep in mind that he grew up; uh, he was birthed into royalty. He grew up in the palace. His grandpa was the king. His dad was the prince. And of course, uh, you know, Mephibosheth was set up to become the prince and then eventually the king someday. But grandpa and dad go off to battle and they die. And when word gets back to the palace, the nanny takes Mephibosheth in her arms because he was a little boy and she flees to a place called Lodabar. And in the process of running over there, she trips, falls on top of him and he becomes crippled of both legs. So she carries him to Lodabar where he would grow up. Lodabar uh, Lodabar means a, a house of no bread or a desolate place. And it was a place where the underdogs, the sick, the lame, the um, the very, very poor would end up at, and that's where they would live. And so... They were pretty much in isolation. They were sheltered in this whole time, you know. It's almost like they had to wear a bell around their necks whenever being around other people because they were the lowest of the lowest according to to those times. And so there you have Mephibosheth going from the palace to this, this dirt poor place and he grows up in this environment. Now, Mephibosheth is a clear example of how influential your environment is over your life. I mean, think about it. If this kid had grown up in the palace, he would have developed a completely different mindset. But he grew up at Lodabar, which was a place for the outcast. He was isolated, it's, it was like they were on consistent quarantine. And so, what happened? His environment molded and shaped his mindset. Now, that can happen to anyone. Keep in mind that your environment is made up of people, sounds, experiences, attitudes. That's your environment. Mephibosheth's environment was not conducive to him growing and becoming a courageous warrior. No, no, remember, when he was summoned by the king, he fell to the ground. And he said, Lord, who am I that you would call a dead dog into your presence? he did not envision himself as a warrior. As a courageous man, he envisioned himself as a dead dog. While living in Lodabar as a crippled young man, he was probably subject to a lot of ridicule, name-calling. He was probably made fun of. The people around him had great influence over his life, especially the people that he respected the most. And if the people that he respected the most were the ones putting him down the most, he developed some deep traumas, some deep wounds. There are certain belief systems that we acquire as we grow up. Our most formative years are from zero to seven years of age. Most of the information that is imparted into our lives gets cemented in and solidified. And therefore... Those deep traumas that are solidified in the subconscious mind when we're older, we have to chisel those things out. We have to break up that concrete in order to expose them and to remove them. Otherwise, they will determine the course of our life. Keep in mind that 90% of our daily mastery is dominated by our subconscious mind. Only 10% is conscious. I'll give you an example. When I stand in front of a big group and I'm talking hundreds of people at a conference, I will have them fill in the blanks and I'll say something like curiosity killed and everyone chants the cat. I will say knowledge is and everyone says power. And then I will say ignorance is and they will say bliss. And so then I go back and I correct them and I tell them curiosity didn't kill the cat. Stupidity did. (laughs) Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is poverty and death. Knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power. And you were probably filling in the blanks yourself with the exact same answer that most people provide. And I'm not uh, trying to criticize you. I'm not. What I'm trying to prove is a point. You, as all of us, have been imparted with specific information that has been cemented in your subconscious mind, that you have believed over time, and that belief has come your reality, and that reality has formed your destiny. But the goal is, through this podcast, is to help you free yourself from thought patterns, mental constructs, and paradigms that have been detrimental to your growth. Once you start to understand how important or how influential your environment is over your own development, you will become so much more selective, selective of the people that you expose your mind to. You know, Jim Rohn, the leadership coach, he once said that you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, and it is literally true. You know we have a tendency to adapt to the people that are around us. So people, you know, are influential and they have the power to mold and shape our worldview. And so once you start to understand this concept, as I said, you will become so much more selective as who do you expose your mind to, what you expose your mind to, what you expose your eyes to. And remember, the mind is influenced by what you see and what you hear. That's what really causes you to think certain thoughts. And those thoughts eventually sink into your spirit because there's a direct connection between your thoughts and your spirit. And then even the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, if you want to know the direction that someone is going in their life, listen to what they're saying because what they're saying will reveal what they're thinking. And remember what they're thinking will lead them to a final destination. You've probably heard this progression before if you've been to any one of my conferences, and you know, the information that I share with you today is, is information that I've been, been borrowed and stolen from others. <laughs> Let's be honest. I've been studying psychology for my whole life. And so the information that I've learned is what I share with you. And so you've probably heard this before from me or for someone else, but the progression of our thought process is is powerful. You know, someone once said that whatever we think, whatever we think becomes a word and whatever we speak influences our emotions and our emotions will influence our decisions and our decisions over time become our actions and our actions become our habits, our habits form our character. And our character leads us to our final destination in life. And it all started with a thought. It all started with thought. So become more selective of the people that you expose your mind to. Some people are inevitable. Sometimes the most negative people are the ones that are right next to you. It happens. And it could be coworkers, it could be a neighbor, it could be a sibling, it could be your own family. But you've got to become selective of what and who you expose your mind to. People who have a warped view of themselves, they often have a warped view of God too. You see, when people feel unworthy of love, like Mephibosheth, unworthy of respect and approval from others, they often feel even more unworthy of God's love, His respect, and approval. You see, their faulty beliefs lead them to draw faulty conclusions about God. These wrong beliefs about God serve only to sabotage their relationship with Him and damage their ability to feel valued by God. And perhaps you were mistreated growing up, or even rejected. You see, the roots of rejection are not always easily uncovered especially when their tentacles reach deep into your childhood. The people who are rejected from conception, yes, from conception, can have a lifelong experience of never, ever feeling loved and accepted, of never knowing the comfort of a mother's warm, reassuring embrace, or the security of a father's strong, protecting arms. You see, when rejection is all that has been known, Identifying its origins can feel overwhelming and frightening, but, but, if rejection is to be removed from your life, now listen, it must be fearlessly faced and dug up by the roots with the help of the Lord and replaced with His loving acceptance. The actions and attitudes of parents toward their kids sends a clear message to children about their value and their worth, not just their value to their parents but their value and worth as human beings. These messages, listen, they stick like glue, and they carry lifelong implications. You see, children with chemically dependent parents, their thought process is that that alcohol and drugs are more important than they are. Children of workaholic parents, their thought process is that their work is more important than they are. The children of the compulsive spending parents, the message they get is that money and things are more important than they are. And the children of the perfectionist parents, the message they're getting is that their demand for perfection is more important than they are. A little side note on perfectionism. A lot of people, they uh, pride themselves in being perfectionists. And if that's you, well, number one, let me tell you that perfection is never going to be attained. Excellence is attainable. Perfection is not. And uh, over the years of I've studied and I've observed people with the tendency to be perfectionists, I've come to uh, create my own definition for it, which perfectionism is an outward manifestation or an outward expression of an inward lack of peace. Now, mull on that for a little bit and tell me, do you truly think that perfectionism is a positive? No, it's not. It's an outward expression of an inward lack of peace. If you yourself are a parent and you are overly critical, your child's probably thinking that they're incompetent. If you are overly protective, they are thinking that they are inadequate. If you are overly controlling, they are thinking that they are unacceptable. And if you are overly permissive, they're probably feeling that they are not valuable. Now let me ask you a question. Have you as an adult let negative circumstances shape your thinking and your self-perceptions? If you have, you need to do what David did, the psalmist. He said, "Search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any iniquity within me." Search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test. It's like putting your thoughts under an X-ray and being able to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Once again, whatever you can't define, you can't defeat. Whatever you're unwilling to confront, you will never change. What you don't know, (laughs) you just don't know. I'm sure that many of you have, at one point in time in your life as a child or as an adult, uh, you've attended a, a circus event, and you've been under the big tent, and you have seen all of the the animals, the tigers, and the lions, and the ponies, of course, the ponies, and the elephants. Now, I want to use the elephant as a metaphor to teach you something today. An elephant that is born under a circus tent, and I'm not talking about elephants that are captured in the wild, but I'm talking about an elephant that has been domesticated in a way, born under the big tent. The first thing that the trainer does is put a metal ring around the elephant's foot and that ring is attached to a chain and the chain is attached to a metal stake that is pounded 12 inches into the ground. Now, because the elephant is a tiny uh, newborn, it's not a mammoth of a beast, and therefore, the chain with the ring and the stake in the ground is strong enough to keep it captive. And as that elephant develops and grows bigger, the trainer uses a whip. And with the whip and the chain, it trains the elephant, it teaches the elephant what it is able to do and what it is not able to do. In other words, it is creating in the mind of the elephant a mental construct or a paradigm. It has used lies to manage, maneuver, dominate, manipulate, and control the elephant. Now, over, over the months or perhaps over the the following two years, that tiny little uh, elephant becomes a three-ton beast with enough power and strength to break free from any chain to demolish the, the circus. But because it has been tied to a chain that has been attached to a ring on its foot for so many years, it has learnt a lie. It has believed a lie. And the lie that it has believed is that as long as that ring is around its foot, it has no power to free itself. You see, (laughs) this is kind of crazy, but let me tell you, the elephant doesn't know its power. The elephant doesn't know its potential. The elephant doesn't know its strength because the elephant has never seen itself in a mirror. It doesn't realize its size. It doesn't realize its power. It doesn't realize its potential because nobody has ever told it, because no one has ever taught it, because it's been taught the polar extreme opposite. And it has believed every one of those lies. And therefore, the elephant is constantly kept captive with the same chain and the same stake in the ground. So how does this story apply to your life? Well, the chain represents past experiences, environment, words that were spoken over your life. Even the words and uh, attitudes that were felt while still in your mother's belly, yes. If there was a rejection from the mother words that were spoken that were not conducive to your uh, proper development while inside your mother's womb. Through research, it's been proven that children are birthed with a sense of unworthiness that affects them later in life. And it's hard to break free from those chains. It's hard to break free from something that you can't see because those chains are invisible. It's not until, as we've mentioned, you become self-aware and you're able to identify them that you're going to be able to break free from them. The captivity that many people are living is not an external one. And that's why I said the chain is invisible. It's not an external captivity. It's an internal captivity. It is not a captivity of the body. It's a captivity of the mind. And the mindset has been warped over time. I mean, you can even see it in the Bible when you see that Moses is charged by God to go to Pharaoh and tell him to set uh, God's people free, the Israelites. The Israelites are set free. I mean they had been slaves for 400 years but they are set free and they're they're on their way to the promised land. Now they believe in God and God has told them what to expect and what they're expecting is a beautiful a beautiful land called the promised land where they're finally going to be free after so many years. And what happens along the way? Along the way the Israelites are complaining. They are they are upset. They are even thinking about, you know, that they would have been better off staying back in Egypt under under captivity, being slaves. You see, they were physically free, but yet they were mentally bound. Their mindset was so warped that they were unable to envision what was awaiting for them they were unable to envision themselves getting to that point B, that that place where they would like to see themselves. And so, so many people live this way. The captivity is not an external one. The captivity is not a physical chain that you can see. The captivity is an internal one. It is a mindset. It is part of a psychology. And it's not until you're able to to define it, that you will be able to defeat it. Self-awareness, and you've heard me say this so many times, self-awareness is key. Don't let your past determine your present and dictate your destination. So to wrap this episode up, let me provide you with a few steps that will help you Break free from those internal chains that have kept you bound, that have warped your mindset. Now, keep in mind, there's no uh, secret formula. There's no perfect step one, two, and three. But as you're intentional and disciplined and consistent about doing these things, I guarantee that you will see transformation in your life. Of course, as a man of faith that I am, I would highly encourage you to start by going before the Lord in a time of prayer and doing as David did, as I previously mentioned, and start by praying, uh, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test and show me if there is any iniquity within me. I would also pray that God would expose any past experiences or words that were spoken over me in my childhood that could have potentially molded and shaped my mindset or warped my mindset, creating a false uh, image or perception of my true self-worth. And during that time of prayer and meditation, I would encourage you to, to try and remain silent, and to really allow God to speak to you. I'm a visual learner, and my prayer time often includes uh, statements like, Lord, paint a picture in my mind. Create a visual image so that I may see and better understand whatever it is that I'm seeking revelation for. Now, I would also encourage you to keep a journal so that way, um, you know, at times we have a tendency to forget those things that are revealed to us, but I would keep a journal and make sure that I write down all of those things that God is exposing, that God is teaching you so that you don't forget them. Now, very important that throughout the day uh, that you listen to your inner monologue In other words, listen to your own conversation. What are you telling yourself? Try to identify self-sabotaging, self-limiting beliefs that are repetitive, that have formed somewhat of a pattern. Now, once you're able to identify those ideas, those mental constructs, also be quick to identify the emotion that that idea evokes. Now, This could be something that you're speaking over yourself that causes you to feel nervous, anxious, depressed, afraid, angry, resentful, etc. Or it could also be something that is spoken by someone else that causes you to go into the same funk, that causes you to feel the same emotions. Be quick to identify the word, be quick to identify the action, the image, the idea the experience, and the emotion that is connected to it. Write those down in your journal. Keep tabs on those things. Once you have done that, be sure to identify the polar extreme opposite idea. Whatever the limiting belief is, think about the opposite. What is the belief that would empower you, propel you in the right direction? So write that down in your journal. I like to keep a somewhat of a, of a four-column template. And so those four columns represent different things. The first column is going to be the self-limiting belief, the self-sabotaging belief, that monologue that I'm having. So I identify that idea and I write it down. The second column is the emotion that that idea brings forth. It could be an emotion of fear, anger, resentment, bitterness, um, anxiousness. And so in the third column, I'm going to write down the polar extreme opposite of that Internal idea. So, like I mentioned, I'm going to write down something that empowers me and propels me into the right direction. Somewhat of an affirmation that I can repeat over time, and and then the last column is going to represent uh, what I should be feeling. What kind of emotion should that idea evoke? So, if the first negative self-sabotaging belief made me fear, made me feel fearful well, then this new uh, idea that empowers me that I'm going to repeat over time is going to make me feel courageous or empowered. The idea behind this template is that you would become more self-aware of the words, of the emotions, and also become more aware of the thought processes that you should have to create in you an emotion that would uh, be more conducive to your growth, That's the whole idea behind this. And if you don't write it down, and then it's really hard to follow up. So the the moment that you're having a self-sabotaging belief with this system, you're going to be able to quickly quickly reroute uh, your thought process. You're going to be able to take down those mental constructs that keep on getting in the way. It's going to take time. Remember, It doesn't take 21 days to form a habit, it takes 21 days to break a habit, 63 days to form a new one. So you're going to have to be very consistent about repeating these new, um, whether you want to call them affirmations, ideas, uh, or empowering statements. You're going to have to be very consistent in order for you to see change. Now, a very important part of the process is when I mentioned you going into prayer, once God, is, uh, once God shows you where things went wrong in your childhood, those experiences that you were subject to back then, be sure to, after you've identified them, be sure to forgive the people that wronged you. Be sure to forgive the people that spoke uh, ill over your life. Be quick to forgive anyone and any situation That, my friends, is going to be key to you becoming the person that God has called you to be. So be quick to forgive any situation and any individual so that you may move forward. Remember, you probably heard that it's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting another person to die. The only person that dies in the process while unforgiving is self and nobody else. So make it a habit of rerouting your beliefs, rerouting your thoughts. Do this habitually and you will see change. I'm believing in you. I'm believing with you that transformation is coming, my friend. Look, the fact that you are connected to this podcast is is true testament that you want to better yourself. That is the beginning. Wanting, having a desire, a passion to move forward. That is step one. You are moving in the right direction. Stay strong and stay focused. God bless you guys.